The Line Out with Lewis Stewart on Rock Sport Radio. Brought to you by Motorpoint Glasgow. Convert your rugby skills into two free tickets to the Six Nations in Rome. Visit Motorpoint Glasgow today and take part in their conversion challenge. Just two minutes from Junction 3 at the M74. Love music. Live sport. The Line Out with Lewis Stewart on Rock Sport Radio. Good evening, Wednesday evening, Rocksport Radio. That means it's time for me, Lewis Stewart, with this week's edition of The Lineout, your guide to everything that is going on in Scottish rugby. Now, I must admit, I had rather hoped I would be bringing you this edition uh, from the joys of Japan, but uh, obviously, as we all know, that didn't happen. Nevertheless, the Rugby World Cup is continuing without the Scots present. We're uh, they're all back home again and getting ready to come into the uh, into the Pro 14. So first of all, I think the point is to have a think about what's been going on in Scottish rugby. Uh, and how that is affected by what's been going on in Japan. Now, one of the things I think that came out of the tournament there is that there were lessons that the Scots can pick up from what Japan did. Remember Japan a few years ago were right down in the doldrums. They were hardly beating anybody. But once they got awarded the World Cup, they made a specific point of coming through and making sure that they had everything in place to put a competitive team out against just about everybody. And, of course, we saw the result of that when they beat both Scotland and Ireland in the pool stages before going out to South Africa. And I should point out, incidentally, that the two teams that beat Scotland, Ireland and Japan, both themselves went out pretty comprehensively in the quarterfinals, which rather wrecks any idea that they could have made more of a go of it, the Scots could have made more of a go of it if they'd reached the quarterfinals, given how easily they lost to both of those sides and how easily both of those sides then lost to their quarterfinal opponents, it's hard to see a case that Scotland would have done any better. Never Nevertheless, Japan, they were a side that came through to achieve great things from their point of view, fantastic amount of support in the country. So to begin this little section, I think the first thing is to ask Jamie Joseph, the Japan coach, on what he thinks the current state of Japanese rugby is. I know is. that Japanese rugby is, is in a good place now. It's important that we, um, it's like every rugby team really, isn't it, you you create a good team. Um, we've got some experienced players. Um, we brought Tomo back in, and Tomo's 37, 38, and they have a wealth of experience, particularly at tournaments like this, and being able to pass that on to younger players. Our starting lock, Jimmy Moore, um, came over as a club rugby player, and um, it's taken a bit of time to develop, and now he's he's in the big arena there, you know? So um, well, I think that's the type of development that's happened in Japan. The younger Japanese players that have come through that we've been able to bring through is, is the future for Japanese rugby. Um, for me, um, I'm just going to really celebrate um, the efforts and the achievements of this team. It's been a lot of work by a lot of people and it's been relentless and I know I've said this before, it's um, I've had to pay all of the credit to a team effort because that's what we are. That's how we operate as a coaching group. That's how we have operated um, between uh, the players and the coaches. And that is why we've achieved it. And, and um, so you can't really acknowledge one particular person or two particular people because it's, it's been a real effort and the country behind us has just added to that. Jamie Joseph playing a fulsome tribute to his players and his coaches after Japan eventually got knocked out of the Rugby World Cup, losing to South Africa in the quarterfinals final after winning all four of their pool games including the one against Scotland and the relevant point about that from a Scottish point of view is that what Japan did demonstrate is that they could beat big teams including Ireland who came into the World Cup as ranked number one in the world with the speed with which they play the accuracy with which they play and the imagination with which they play and that's a style of rugby that Gregor Towns End has often said he aspires to achieve with Scotland. 
For Jamie Joseph then, the question is, is it a style that actually can keep achieving on the international stage? Um, yeah, yep, absolutely. Um, but the game of rugby is quite simply, we've got to be able to create speed first and we rely on our set pieces um, when, we, when teams make mistakes and we go to scramble line out and then we've got to be able to get quality ball to um, and again a credit to South Africa they were able to snuff us out and there was only one pass away from and sometimes breaking them open um, but I thought also their scramble defence was outstanding um, you know so like we've, we've been we've had a bit of luck um, we've played really well in the previous four or so games. South Africa was another step up. Um, you've got to take your head off. A very good rugby team. Jamie Joseph assuring us that speed can beat power. And another relevant question as far as the Scots are concerned is that really rugby is not a major sport in Japan. Football is, baseball is, even volleyball and sports like that all have their place in the Japanese sporting lexicon. But rugby, until the World Cup, really didn't have much of a following. Now, you were looking at television audiences in excess of 50 million for some of the big Japanese games. So this has got to surely give them a platform on which they can build. And again, it could be an example of to how you go about achieving a similar development of the sport in countries like Scotland, where it is also well down the pecking order in public perception. The, the players and the brand of rugby that we've been playing um, all year really is, 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 is inspiring. The only difference is, is that everyone's watching us now um, as opposed to when we're playing the PNC. The rugby actually hasn't changed. The opposition has changed. The pressure's changed. The tournament is obviously the World Cup and now there's been an audience that's um, created um, a lot of noise for the team and, and in that respect with, with regards to promoting the game for young Japanese kids is ideal. I guess would be the right word. Jamie Joseph on the inspiring qualities of a international side which is not only successful but is also playing exciting, interesting, imaginative, fast rugby which again could be a role model for what Scotland are trying to achieve. However, it must be said, you could take this uh, parallel between Scotland and Japan too far. There are also a lot of differences between the two countries, culture obviously being one of them. But in fact, the whole rugby system is different between the two countries, as Jamie Joseph explained. What we were different from other countries is our, our players aren't professionally contracted to the team. So if you look at the All Blacks, you look at South African players, they all get paid to play for South Africa and then they go and play for their clubs and they come back and they're getting paid to play for South Africa. And that's different in Japan, which is why it's always hard to maintain consistency and selection in the team. Um, but those questions that you're posing really need to be asked to, to my bosses. Um, I'm just the coach and my job is to get the guys ready um, off the field, on the field, to be able to play rugby like we've been playing. The story for me is, is the evident there's good rugby players here. And if we can put the right system in place, then you know, this team is just going to keep on growing. Jamie Joseph, cautiously optimistic about the future of Japanese rugby, but it must be said that while he, in a position where he is at the moment, has every reason to feel confident, it is not necessarily a confidence that is shared across the board. And one of the reasons why that is the case was demonstrated yesterday when reports surfaced in Japan that in fact talks about extending his contract through to 2021 or even 2023 are in a deep trouble. We already knew that Tony Brown, the backs coach, who came up with that vibrant, imaginative attacking style is going back to New Zealand for personal reasons and it's not impossible by the looks of it that he may very well be followed by Joseph despite the success that they enjoyed on their fairy tale run through to the quarterfinals. The other thing is there's also suggestions that the move to scrap the Sunwolves may be reversed and they may be invited back into Super Rugby next season and beyond and that there is a 
talk, presumably fueled by the 50 million plus people who watch the Japan games on television in Japan, uh, that they could be invited into the rugby championship and become the first of the so-called tier two nations to get regular exposure to the top tier of rugby, which would obviously have a huge effect if they were able to make that happen. But there's a lot to be discussed before then. At the moment, these are only tentative proposals and no guarantees that either of them will ever come about. But strong suggestions from those in the know in Japan that if they don't, then with the Olympics coming next year, Japanese rugby could very easily fall back to where it was five or six years ago before the miracle in Brighton and before they had that run of absolute brilliance and success in their own World Cup, when I suppose you also have to accept that everything was organised in their favour. They didn't have short turnarounds in the way that pretty much every other team did, and quite often, as in, for example, the last game against Scotland, they were playing against teams who had just come off a short turnaround. So they're not going to get it as easy again in the future, but at the present moment, everything there is feeling rosy, everybody is feeling happy, and they have everything going for them. The question to be discovered over the next few years is whether this is the high water in Japanese rugby or the beginning of something special. Meanwhile, back in Scotland, there are people who are still interested in what's going on in the World Cup. Uh, for example, we do have a former England international, Richard Cockrell, coaching at Edinburgh. And he is obviously keeping a close eye on things. His former international side have been doing quite well. They're through to the semi-finals. So when I caught up with him earlier, it was a question for him how he thought the whole competition had been going. The Lineout with Lewis Stewart. At Motorpoint, we've put the super into car supermarket. We're here to save the day with a choice of over 7,000 low mileage, nearly new cars. Find your next car in a flash with our lightning fast service and same day drive away. Plus, with Motorpoint's price pledge, if you find the same car for less, we'll match the price and give you a £50 Amazon voucher. Visit Motorpoint Glasgow today, just two minutes from Junction 3 of the M74. T's and C's apply. See website for details. The list of things you need to do gets longer at this time of year, whether that's for the house or in your business. So tick one thing off your list right now. Your septic tank could need emptied. Let Grant Henderson Tankers empty your septic tank in the home or work, farm, factory or workshop at very competitive rates. We are septic tank specialists, experienced, safe and dedicated to environmental safety with our own licensed disposal site. Find out more at wemovesh.it or call 01698 284 987. Grant Henderson Tankers, let the experts manage your waste. Love music, live sport. The Line Out with Lewis Stewart on Rock Sport Radio. Welcome back. And as I said before the break, the... Uh, we were talking about the World Cup. We were talking about Richard Cockrell and his views on how the to tournament is going so far. So let's hear that interview. From watching it from afar, look, it seems a great tournament. The Japanese seem to have taken it to their hearts. Obviously, the home side doing so well is um, is beneficial. And now it's down to the the four big teams, isn't it, really? I mean, the, the, the teams that know how to win games. And they win games in very different ways, don't they? So... No, I mean, Saturday and Sunday mornings are going to be, are going to be interesting. Well, Richard Cockrell may be Edinburgh coach, but he is still a former England international and is looking forward to their game against New Zealand at the weekend. So does he think they can win? Oh, 100%. I mean, they're, they're, a, they're a very good side. I mean, um, if, I, if I'm uh, perfectly honest, purely from a rugby point of view, it, the England-New Zealand is, you know, would probably be better as a final. I think they're the two best teams, if I'm honest, um, from a personal point of view. Um, but no, England are more than good enough to beat New Zealand. I think they they can play an all-round game and they've got the power game to, to do that. New Zealand, if they get it right, we know that they're more than good enough to beat England. So it will be, uh, 
it'll be a, it'll be a great game on that one it is impossible to quarrel with richard cockrell although there have been shocks along the way and signs that maybe the tier two nations are beginning to catch up with the tier one the result of the quarterfinals is that the teams ranked one to four in the world are the four teams in the semi-finals those of us with longer memories do remember that it was England, New Zealand that really established Richard Cockrell as a name on the international stage when the Kiwis were performing the hacker and he decided to stand about two feet away from Norm Hewitt, his opposite number, eyeballing him throughout the ceremony and really making it clear that he was not only accepting the challenge but relishing it. One of the more dramatic moments in international rugby which had its ramifications uh, a little while later but for Cockrell it means that the hacker remains a special moment for him in international rugby. I, I think the hackers are it's a special thing for for New Zealand um, but I, I, for me I think it's a special thing within within the game um, as a player I always look forward to to, to facing it um, the first time was a bit closer than I probably should have been um, but I think it's a very special thing. I think it's something that should be celebrated. Um, I think there's as much um, psychological edge in facing it as there is doing it, if, if I'm honest. So I think it's a great thing. It clearly means a lot to them, which is fine. Um, is it an advantage? I, I don't know. So, you know the, the All Blacks have had to deal with it. They do it and they get so psyched up that they, they, they used to start games very poorly and they've had to do things around that to manage that part of their, their game. Um, for me, I think it should be respected. Um, and uh, for me personally, I, I don't think that you should have to stand 20 metres away from it. Uh, I think you should, you know, you, it doesn't need to be physical contact. Well, it's a challenge, isn't it? You know, and they're calling on that on their manner. They're calling on their, their people that have the, the forefathers before them to, to come and help them and take the strength from the earth. So um, I reckon you should be able to stand a metre away if you want to or, or 20 metres away. I don't think, you know, it's, it's accepting the, the challenge or to, to, to go to battle. How good. Richard Cockrell, one of the people who really has stood up to the hacker and come out on the winning side as well. Of course, just at the moment for Cockrell, things are not World Cup related in his own life. He is still in Edinburgh and this weekend he has a team to prepare for their game against Scarlet at Murrayfield on Saturday afternoon, uh, which promises to be an absolutely cracking game. Both teams are affected by World Cup absolutely and Cockrell will explain what's happening with the Scotland players in a minute. Uh, Scarlets, of course, have got a large number of players away uh, with the Wales team who will be competing in the semi-final against South Africa on Sunday morning in the UK, the Saturday game being the England-New Zealand one that Cockrell was talking about there. And so when we were talking about it, the first question obviously had to be how preparations for the resumption of the Pro 14 were going and what was going to happen thereafter. Three good training days, had a long weekend and we're back in for uh, a good long run now to the Six Nations, aren't we? So 13 games on the bounce and we've got to integrate the Scotland boys back in and um, just keep trucking along. We've we, we got to make sure we uh, put in a performance for, for Saturday and we've got to take the points out of the game. Richard Cockrell happy with the preparations for this weekend's game against the Scarlet but also looking forward to being able to reintegrate his Scotland players so what are his plans for the way he's going to do that? Yeah individual basis really so there'll be a couple of guys um, hopefully involved this weekend um, that didn't uh, play a huge amount uh, and some guys are having a bit more time because they feel they need it so World Cups, long tours, Lions tours guys um, react differently so some guys will have even though some guys that haven't had a huge amount of game time need a bit more time away from from rugby because they've been together four months they've been away from home they've been living in hotels um, and some of that's not just the physical parts, it's the um, the emotional parts of, of getting them fresh mentally to come back and play what's going to be a big season. Um, big for us as a club, but then there's a Six Nations, um, which will be tough. 
Um, and then there's a summer tour, which is going to be probably uh, the toughest summer tour in, in the world with South Africa, South Africa, New Zealand. It's not, not an easy tour, is it, after a World Cup year and a Six Nations. So, yeah... Um, yeah, uh, we've got, we got to be careful that we, we manage those guys correctly. Now, we're, we're hoping to have um, uh, Kinghorn back and Bradbury come back into the squad, so we'll see. Richard Cockrell anticipating a couple of the World Cup players returning. Blair Kinghorn didn't really feature much for Scotland over the course of the World Cup, so no real surprise there. Magnus Bradbury, possibly a bit more of a surprise. He did play the three games after he officially joined the squad as a replacement for Hamish Watson, clocking up a total of 188 minutes on the pitch, which put him ninth in the list of most used players in the Scotland squad during the World Cup but I understand the thinking is that he didn't play much during the warm-up games missing the first three with a rib injury and only playing 20 minutes off the bench in the final one after the squad had been released and he'd been initially left out of it so he hasn't had that much rugby over the last four months although he has had a lot over the last four weeks. And Cockrell knows that with every team about to be strengthened by returning World Cup players, now is a good time for him to make a statement against the Scarlets, where they play at Murrayfield on Saturday. Yeah, look, they're a good side. They've got good players, and they've got you know they've had as, as many missing as um, as ourselves. So um, they're unbeaten. They're, they're obviously got a new coach who has a a very expansive way of playing, and you, and you see that in how they play. Um, but yeah, they're, they're they're pretty much like ourselves. They're pretty functional. They 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 look to get the ball wide, um, very very uh, hard off the line in defence. So we've we've had a, we've had a couple of games already where teams do that. So look, we 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 know what's coming. Um, we need to bounce back from a pretty average performance in parts at, at Leinster, but some some good parts at Leinster too. So we've got to put that together. We've got to. Um, we got we got to start you know we want we, you got to beat the teams in in your conference and and keep yourself in that uh, top 3 and and just keep battling away yeah we we physically we need to make sure we're right uh which we which we will be um but when we got opportunities we have to take them and we're trying to expand the game we're trying to make our game a little bit more fluid and a little bit more attack minding which we've seen we've scored some good tries we're scoring tries and lots of points um so we've got to do that again and but make good decisions when you need to when you're under pressure Make sure you exit your, your own end of the field properly and you don't put pressure back on yourselves. And uh, we didn't do it well enough last time out. Last time out, of course, being that comprehensive thrashing over in Leinster uh, two weekends ago now because they didn't play last weekend during the quarterfinals in the World Cup. But from a player's perspective on how all of this goes, I turned to Murray Douglas. Now, Murray is a fascinating player, and I was slightly shocked to discover it's actually seven years since I first ran into him when he uh, got his first shot at Edinburgh. Things didn't work out then, and he has gone off and made a good career for himself down in the Southern Hemisphere, playing in both Australia and New Zealand. But he has been enticed back this year to help Edinburgh during the period when pretty much their whole pack was off of Scotland in the World Cup, plus Bill Matter heading off to play with Fiji in the World Cup, and he'll be here for a little bit longer, so first of all, Murray, thank you very much for coming on the programme, and secondly, how much are you enjoying being back home again? Hi Lewis, yeah, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, no, really, really enjoy my, my time at Edinburgh since I've been back, it's... Um, you know, it's been that's been five years now. So I've, I've uh, been living um, and working in Australia, and New Zealand. So, yeah, it's it's great to be back. It's um, you know when when this opportunity was presented to me, it was it was definitely one that I sort of snapped at and and tried to nail down as quickly as I can. Uh, grew up supporting Edinburgh, so uh, the chance to pull on the jersey again was one that was uh, yeah really appealed to me. It must have done. It must be quite nice to actually get home and sort of see family and all the rest of it as well and be able to catch up with old friends. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'd only been back um, twice in those five years and uh, it's always pretty hectic trying to, you know, cram in uh, seeing friends and family over like sort of two or three weeks. So it's, on that front, it's been uh, it's been a lot more relaxing and kind of been able to space it out. Um, 
And yeah, you know, he's obviously familiar with Edinburgh, um, worked here and, and played with Harriets for, for a season as well before I left. So yeah, it's been really easy sort of settling back in and, and just getting into the sort of grind of of the sort of rugby and the weekend we had week out games in the season. And so somebody though brought up born and brought up in Scotland, we have a lot of players who make the reverse journey from Australia, New Zealand over to this country, but it's unusual for players to go in the opposite direction from this country to Australia, New Zealand. Can you talk us through how that happened with you? Yeah, I suppose I didn't really, um, you know, when I when I went out to Australia, it wasn't primarily to, to try and pursue a rugby career as such. It was really... Um, Went out there and did a bit of travelling and, and ended up settling in Melbourne and played club rugby in Melbourne and through that ended up getting uh, picked up by the Rebels, the Melbourne Rebels, and, and played a season with them before heading over to New Zealand to uh, play in the NPC with, with, with Northland. And then on the back of that, got an opportunity down in Wellington with the Hurricanes um, and then after a season there, kind of moved to the Brumbies on a two-year deal, trying to trying to get a bit more game time, um, didn't really didn't really feature for the Hurricanes that regularly, and uh, yeah, the sort of chance to to play more often in in Canberra with the Brumbies really appealed to me. So, just spent um, last season there with them. Obviously, back here with Edinburgh now, and then uh, head back to Canberra in December to, to start pre-season and before Super Rugby kicks off in January. Which makes you, I think, officially a glutton for punishment, given that uh, you had the full <laughs> season over there, a season here, they go yeah. straight back into pre-season at the other side of the world. Yeah, yeah, no, it's a, it's, it's a full-on schedule. It's, um, you know, I didn't I didn't get too much time off after uh, Super Rugby finished and sort of came back over and got, got straight into it. But, um, you know, look, I'm, I'm, I'm loving it. I mean, I, I started playing professional rugby relatively late at, it just uh, just before my twenty seventh birthday, so uh, I'm keen to try and um, you know play as much as much as possibly can, and and if that means doing back to back seasons, then it just sort of puts a puts an emphasis emphasis on recovery and, and and trying to keep the body right week in week out, and yeah, just try to rack up the minutes and play every week. But put you in an ideal position to compare. Southern Hemisphere rugby has this reputation of being all chuck the ball around the place, exciting stuff and all the rest of it. Northern Hemisphere, all about set piece and scrums. Is that fair, do you think, having seen them both close up and personally? I think I think yes and no. There's there's definitely sort of different styles where you play. I mean, you know, when I was at the Hurricanes there was a massive emphasis on Running the ball, um, regardless of whereabout in the in the field we were, whether that was you know off a restart in our 22, um, there was guys there that you know the sort of the team emphasis was on on running the ball a lot. Um, being at the Brumbies, I'd say is is probably one of the few uh, teams in that competition that put a real big emphasis on set piece. Um, you know, our, our, our mall was pretty dominant last year. I think we scored you know in excess of like 16 tries. Throughout the season, and our and our scrum is really solid. You know, got a full Wallabies front row in there. Um, so it's yeah. I mean, I think I think like you know the the weather as well is really conducive to playing that open style of rugby. But um, you've got the you know you've got the good weather for the majority of the season, and that certainly helps when you're trying to throw the ball around. Um, I can imagine when you get into autumn, winter over here, it gets a bit difficult with the, with the wet weather and stuff. But um, you know, as I say, I've kind of really enjoyed every every club I've been at and and how we've played, and it's certainly only added to the sort of getting a bit more experience in those styles, and and hopefully I learn something from it. And how much are you enjoying playing with Edinburgh and the style that Richard Cockrell has brought to the team at the moment? Yeah, you know, it's been it's been great. Um, Richard Cockrell's the type of guy I think as a as a front row or as a, sorry as a as a tight five forward you. The, the chance to learn under him was, was, was really appealing because he's obviously um, known for uh, getting the best out of his pack. So not only the chance to come back to Edinburgh and play, but the chance to play under under Cockers as well was was uh, really appealing to me. Um, and that's as I say, I'm you know kind of maybe getting on a bit now, but I'm always keen to try and to learn and improve, and and hopefully I'm uh, doing that whilst I'm back here. And results have gone pretty well. If we'll draw a quick blank over that Leinster game, but you started the season well. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, no, we um I think I think we're always kind of targeted that, that first game of the season against Zebra to, to put down a marker and to see where we're really at. Um and then to back that up 
in Cardiff down there um, a week later was, was really promising as well. Um, as you mentioned, you know, crossing Dublin against Leinster, it wasn't wasn't a great result. There was we uh, we didn't play particularly well, and I think you know if we if we'd taken more points, um, key moments in the game, especially when they were down to 13 men, then it could have really sort of swung the whole momentum and, and really changed the way the game went. So, um, you know, we came back in after after that game, and and we were really keen and eager to to learn from it. And um, you know, we've had a, a good week so far, and hoping that. Uh, we can put those ex- that experience in Dublin to good use and, and turn it around and get a good result on Saturday. Against the Scarlet, what do you make of them? Because they're sort of in a funny position at the moment, much like you. They won't have their international players available to them, obviously, because Wales are still involved. Uh, but they've got some pretty good backup players as well. It's an interesting squad. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, they're you know, definitely a, a team that has a lot of strength and depth. Um you know, there's 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 quite a number of guys there that aren't aren't Welsh internationals, but are still uh, quality quality players. So, um, yeah, they'll be they'll be a tough a tough team to play against. They're, they're a team that tries to um, you know get to the middle of the park and and attack on both sides, and they also have quite a sort of mixed kicking game as well. So, a team that defensively will keep us on our toes, um, but. You know, everyone, everyone in the team relishing the challenge and all looking forward to getting out there on Saturday. Murray, thank you very much indeed. Have a good game, do enjoy it, and uh, hopefully come back with a win as well. Thanks, Lewis. Thanks for having me. Thanks very much indeed. That was Murray Douglas, the uh, Edinburgh lock, who is presumably going to be playing against the Dragons this weekend. And we're going to switch there very quickly from uh, the Edinburgh side to the Glasgow side, where I caught up with Alex Allen, the front row player, who must be hoping that the post-World Cup brings things for him on the international front as well. But we started off by talking about the game coming up this weekend, and in Glasgow's case, that is going to be against the Dragons down at Rodney Parade. They're in a similar position with us. Um, that's one very good away win at Zebras. That's a tough place to go. So um, we've also got one one win out of three as well. So um, you know they're a, they're a team that are doing some good things well, and some things like us they're trying to improve and work on. So um, you know they're a tough outfit. They've got um, Jordan Williams at 15. He's a massive threat, and um, yeah, we'll be making sure to try and contain, contain him at fullback. But um, yeah, they've got they've got threats all over the pitch. they um, good footwork. Um, so yeah, they're they're going to be a, a tough, especially at Rodney Parade, like you said. Um, it's it's a quite an intimidating place to go, but it's it's a good fun place to go. The, the crowd are there, and if you can silence that, you you almost like I say. You, you draw energy from that as well so it's a place that recently we've had quite a lot of success at the last game unfortunately ended in a draw but sort of last four or five years we've um, we feel like we're we've played well down there um, and we just need to con- continue that um, that momentum You've been around here long enough to remember the days when the Dragons were actually a bit of a bogey team that somehow or other they seem to have your number on the physicality stakes of nothing else but, uh, but it's something Glasgow come on hugely at it'd be able to take on teams like that and beat them Yeah I think um, you know they've I've, I don't think they've ever been classed as a bogey team um, we've had some some real real tough battles against them um, and but it's it's credit to, to where we are as a club that um you know we we can we can sort of match match them in in everywhere and excel them and hopefully in certain areas as well. So we're we're looking to take the take the game to them and um, you know um, whatever physicality they throw at us, we'll be looking to match that. So. And I know you don't like talking about it, but uh, it was the site of your wonder try, wasn't it? <laughs> uh, yeah, a long, a long time ago now. Um, it's starting to get reeled out every time we play the Dragons away. So, um, yeah. You must take a certain amount of pride in that, you know, because it was the sort of thing that's still on highlight reels and all the rest of it. Years, you know, there aren't that many times you get props for scoring sort of thirty-yard tries with sidesteps and all the rest of it uh, built in. Oh, I think with the way with the way the modern game's going, it's uh, you know it's happening quite quite often. Um, Charlie Caps and George Thornton have have also got that in their locker. They're quite athletic props. Um, so um, I think yeah, you're seeing you're seeing it more and more often. So. Uh, yeah, Ollie, Ollie of course can do it as well. So um, 
yeah maybe not maybe not so uh, specialist at it these days but we'll see it's one of the ways the game has changed props to my day I mean basically you were there just to hold up the scrum and that was about it but nowadays you are expected to be a lot more athletic a lot more dynamic yeah, um, the cer- certainly. Um, you know, when we get our stats back, we're expected to sort of be hitting the same same numbers as you know some some of the other forwards in terms of carries and tackles. And um, you know, those those are days when you know your your prop would just be there and didn't really make any tackles. He just stands with his hand up next to a rook. And I think those days are long gone. Um, especially at this club, they they, uh, they expect a lot a lot from the props. Um, and so yeah, I think. Um, you know, uh, pass, tackle. You know, we're expected not just to carry in tight spaces, but also sort of try and carry out wide and carry in um, sort of wherever we're needed and wherever the numbers are. And you got to play with 15, 15 men on the pitch, and um, and you can't just carry players anymore. And also, you're talking about the ball handling as well, but the other side of that is the defensive side of it, which is, uh, again, more dynamic. You're not just sort of standing next to the ruck and tackling somebody coming around the corner. You are expected to tackle two out, three out if necessary. Yeah, well, um, uh, yeah, quite often I would be sort of um, even further out. So, you know, you you find yourselves in places... um, that you know, um, I want you might not be too comfortable in, but you've got to make sure that you are comfortable. So, um, I think we're all working on it to make sure that wherever, whichever, wherever we are, no matter how far out we are, comfortable defending in those channels. And, um, and you do a job and don't let the team down, so, um, and that goes with everyone. So, and same with you know, sometimes centers get caught next to the next to the or wingers get caught next to the ruck and they have to make a tackle on a pick and go on their own line, and they're expected to. Yeah. To do the same, <laughs> to do the same, put the head up and, and mess the hair up a bit. So, um, so yeah, and, and they they do that as well. So, um, yeah, that's just the way the game's gone. Absolutely, but uh, you're looking at these days. I mean, you're expected to make a dozen plus tackles a game. You're expected to carry the ball half a dozen times, that sort of thing. That must feed into your style of game, though. You must feel this is something that has developed in your direction. Yeah, well, especially at this club, I feel I feel the way the style that. Glasgow Warriors try and play does does suit my style of rugby and um, you know that's um, that's maybe because I have been here a few years now that I've evolved in that way as well through all the coaching and the training of doing that sort of style of play but um, yeah it's, it's something I look to do um, you know I can always always do a bit more uh, do a bit better but I do feel yeah I sort of enjoy enjoy you know not just the scrimmaging but the uh, the attacking the defending so yeah looking a lot of the players are obviously now looking a little bit over their shoulders the guys coming back from the world cup at both scotland and obviously you've got dth and nico and people like that coming back as well but you're in one of the positions where there really isn't anybody competition coming back so you can establish yourself and move forward from where you are at the moment yeah um uh, so yeah, it's just I think there's there's a lot of players at the World Cup that maybe felt that they they had their position sort of at Glasgow before they went away as well, and they're now looking over their shoulders and seeing you know young guys coming through as well. I mean Jamie Dobby's another one that's been absolutely fantastic, and as a young as a young boy, he's um, you know he's he's really made a marker. And as I said earlier, um, there's quite a few others: Adam Nicholl, Kieran McDonald. You know, there's there's a lot of players out there, and there's there's more coming through that maybe haven't had as much game time. Um, as I would have liked in this period but um, there's definitely the strength there and they just maybe need another year or two to develop but yeah there's always someone coming in and you know uh, I'm I'm maybe not looking at players at the World Cup but there's like I said um, a few younger guys George Thornton and um, Charlie Capps there they've both performed really well um, and yeah you know they'll 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 be definitely um, banging on the door a bit more in the next few months and you know they are probably the future of the club so yeah, so it's not um, just the line you picked up the feel the heat brochure from your local plum base get one today and take advantage of great offers including polypipes polymax 100 piece fittings bucket at 99 pounds 99 that's a 15 percent saving on purchasing individual pieces and it's exclusive to plum base the polypipe polymax 100 piece fittings bucket is just part of the polypipe range available in the plum base feel the heat brochure shop online now at plumbase.co.uk or grab one from your local branch 
Get the brands you love at littlewoods.com. Whether you use it for studying or streaming, find the Asus Chromebook 11.6-inch in grey for just $199.99. All with inclusive delivery and free returns. Hurry, offer ends 25th of October. Own it. Shop now at littlewoods.com. Love music. Live sport. The Lineout with Lewis Stewart on Rock Sport Radio. Welcome back. Before the break, we were talking with Alex Allen about the joys of what's been going on at rugby and before that with Murray Douglas at Edinburgh. But uh, now we turn to somebody who can keep me briefed on what has been happening back in Scotland during the time that I have been in Japan. I'm delighted to say that I have on the line Mark Palmer from the Sunday Times, who has been keeping a close eye, I think, Mark, on uh, rugby in Scotland. So what is the general feeling, do you think, here, back at home, been about the performance of the team out in Japan? Good evening, Lewis, and welcome back, first and foremost. Uh-huh. Glad back here. Um, <laughs> I hope you enjoy your, your trip as far as possible. Um, yeah, I'd imagine it was probably a, a, a very similar vibe to what you guys were feeling there, and that there was a, a real disappointment, obviously, with how it, it all finished up, that it kind of felt as if our campaign didn't ever really get going. You know, the book ended by those desperately disappointing defeats, uh, where we probably felt we'd seen a number of those elements in other defeats and performances before, so not entirely unexpected, but certainly frustrating, and in between it, you know, two big wins in the games where those were probably expected as well, so it was a, a feeling of what might have been, I'd imagine, was uh, the overriding sense. Absolutely, it just felt... It- as you say, I mean, the, the the Ireland game was just desperately disappointing, and I felt they never entirely got over that. There was just, and they weren't mm-hmm. helped by the schedule, which gave them a long break between the Ireland game and the Samoa game. So there's plenty of time for everybody to mope about what happened uh, in the first game in Yokohama, and then I don't know the uncertainty over the second game may have affected people, but again, it wasn't really until an hour into the game that they really started to play. No, and that was a disappointing thing. We've talked so often about these kind of slow starts and the fact that it always seems to be the opposition that managed to impose their game and what they want to do before we manage to, and that we end up kind of sort of digging a hole that we then have to burrow back out of. And in some cases, we can do it fine and we, there's enough scope to do so, but you can't always be relying on that. And again, the, the other sort of recurring themes of that, you know, you know, the, the inability to cope or to cope well and consistently with teams that are more physical than us, and also, um, you know, defensively, which had been a strong suit um, in, in, in recent memory certainly is not at the moment uh, and that came back to haunt the team again in Japan so um, yeah uh, it probably ended up in, in not the biggest surprise but frustrating nonetheless I would say and what was the general reaction that you were picking up around the sort of supporters who hadn't managed to make it out in Japan? Was it sort of resignation or was were people actually just understanding that this was how it was? Probably a mix of the two, depending on who you spoke to. And the interesting thing is the resignation. There was also obviously some, some chat around coaches, and that's you know still a live issue in some quarters. Although you know there is a view that um, that, that Gregor will be okay certainly until Six Nations time. And you know I think we can all agree that there's a necessity of, of some visible improvement and material improvement in terms of results in that campaign as well for for everybody's sake. But no, I think um, as I say, disappointment. Um, but, you know, the, the manner of it probably didn't surprise in terms of things that have, have tripped the team up consistently over the last couple of years. And, you know, I think there's just a general frustration that having there have been, you know, a, a considerable number of years of, you know, first under Vern Conner and then certainly Gregor's first year to 18 months, that graph was, was, was heading in one direction. There was fairly smooth progress and you could, could see that incline. Um, you know, probably since the summer of 2018, it's, it's gone the other way, um, or at best, we feel like we stood still. So there has to be a sense, I think, in this next campaign that things are starting to move forward again, both in performances and, and more importantly, in results as well. So um, a big uh, a big Six Nations coming up, you would think. Right, Mark, can you do me a favour? One of the joys of the World Cup is we've got sponsorship on this programme now, so I've got one more ad break to take. If you can just hang on the line, I'll do that and come of back course. to you. 
The Line Out with Lewis Stewart on Rock Sport Radio. Brought to you by Motorpoint Glasgow. Convert your rugby skills into two free tickets to the Six Nations in Rome. Visit Motorpoint Glasgow today and take part in their conversion challenge. Just two minutes from Junction 3 of the M74. Have you ever lost money on an investment? If a high street bank persuaded you to buy a stocks and shares ISA, unit trust or investment bond and you lost money, Goodwin Barrett may be able to help you get back thousands of pounds in compensation. We've already helped thousands of people just like you claim back millions of pounds. Even if you don't have the investment anymore or the paperwork, Goodwin Barrett make it easy to find out. Text GOOD to 6677. Text GOOD to 6677 now. Be honest, how much attention are you really paying to this advert? 25%? Maybe 30% if you're sitting in traffic and the kids have stopped arguing. What about 0%? Well, now's the time to give 0% attention. Because for a limited time only, the entire Mini range is available with 0% APR. All you need to decide is which Mini is perfect for you. Good to know we've now got 100% of your attention. Search 0% Mini to find out more. Who's in? Minimum 25% deposit on 24-month select agreements for new models registered by 31st of December 2019 at participating retailers subject to availability. Excludes Mini Electric. UK residents age 18 plus. Guarantees may be required. Mileage and other conditions apply if you return the vehicle. T's and C's apply. Mini UK, a trading name of BMW. UK Limited is a credit broker, not a lender. Love music, live sport. The Line Out with Lewis Stewart on Rock Sport Radio. Welcome back. And before the break, I was talking to Mark Palmer about the reaction to the Rugby World Cup back here in Scotland, where he was keeping a close eye on it while I was swanning around, Mark, in uh, in sunny Japan. But, um, but while the Rugby World Cup was obviously uh, dominating everything in headlines and the news and all the rest of it, it's easy to forget there was still rugby going on here. The Glasgow and Edinburgh were both still playing games and there were developments uh, in the club rugby scene as well. But first of all, can you get me up to date? How have Glasgow and Edinburgh been doing? Well, as you've seen from the, the results, a mixed bag on, on both fronts. Glasgow now up and running uh, with the, the win there. They've got one on the board after a couple of disappointing games to kick off with, notably in South Africa with their first game. Uh, it did not go according to plan, safe to say. And at the other end of the MA, Edinburgh, a, a couple of good performances then go to, and results then go to Champions Leinster and, and first defeat there, which not entirely unexpected. They had some good moments in the game again, but probably a few soft moments back-to-back killed them in that one. Um, they, have, they have scarlets at the weekend, as you, you've obviously been previewing earlier in the programme, and you know they, they want to make that Murrayfield fortress again. Um, you know, Cocker's first season more so than the second in terms of home results. Um, they want to, you know, kicked off with a, a big win against Sevilla on the first weekend of the season, so they'll be looking to, you know, obviously a more difficult opponent to take on this weekend. But if they can keep that run going, and you know, in that bigger picture of building momentum to uh, to the stadium move at the start of next season, we've seen the, the, the groundbreaking ceremony. I think you call it today. Um, so, you know, a lot of this season and particularly what they do at home is pointing towards that and, and, and building that support for next season. And they, they give those people something to buy into. Uh, and that starts obviously with what they, they produce on the pitch. Glasgow. It's a sort of funny one, isn't it? Because they started off out in the Cheetahs. They always knew that was going to be a really hard game because the Cheetahs were coming off the back of the Curry Cup campaign. Obviously, they'd lost nobody to the South African uh, World Cup squad and all the difficulties of playing at altitude in the sun and all the rest of it. And they've gone on to a couple of big wins over other teams that you would have expected to be more competitive, Ulster and people like that. So the Cheetahs possibly not that big a surprise, but I thought the disappointing one was that they didn't take advantage of the opportunities they had against the Scarlets and they could have won that game for as far as from the highlights that I saw I didn't see the whole match obviously but it did look as though they, that match was there to be won and they didn't take it Yes, and you know they've probably you know again we're talking about recurring teams for Scotland, and sometimes with Glasgow as well. You know, do they have that clinical edge? At times they do, at times they don't. And you know, particularly home games, you you can't leave these points on the table. Um, so, and um, Dragons it's, over the years it's traditionally quite a mixed mixed place for them to go in terms of results and, and outcomes there. Recently, more recently, it's been, it's been a happy hunting ground. I think we we heard that within the program. So. They've got to be confident about going down there and, and, and building on that win um, and, and making another one. So, um, obviously, 
obviously the, the international guys will be phased back in over the next couple of weeks. Um, last year they did really well in the in the in the test windows when they lost a lot of players. You know, some of the some of the the, the, B, the so-called B guys really stepped up. And then amongst that mix starts the season, there have been some good individual performances from from so-called lesser lights, as, um, as Alex Arnold's explaining. There, guys like Keen McDonald, Adam Nichols taking the chance. Jamie Dobie's looked good in, in flashes as well. So um, uh, some bright patches on an individual level as well in terms of building that strength and depth and competition for for when uh, for when the rolls around, and they'll be faced with a similar scenario of, of guys disappearing on mass. Jamie Doby, you mentioned there, fascinating case, I think. Uh, still only 18, straight out of school, but he does look as though he's the real deal. He does, and you know, there's, as much as he's impressed on the park, you hear very good things off it as well in terms of, you know, it's a, it's a, as you say, it's a huge um, acclimatisation after being a very short period leaving school straight into professional rugby environment, but by all accounts, he's taken that in his stride and is, is really impressing with what he's doing off the park as well and his general attitude and demeanour around the place, so that's a very encouraging sign. Um, we, we've talked about the, the future of the, the scrum half position at a national level as well with the Dragon Ball, um, you know, we all seem now going to disappear into the sunset of, of test retirement. So, you know, with, with Ali Price and George Horn there already, uh, with Charlie Shields through Edinburgh as well, but if Jamie Dobie can also become part of that wider fight over the next four years, then uh, then, then, then all power to his elbow and it'll, it'll stand us in good stead at national level as well. In the meantime, there have been developments going on at domestic level. Super 6 and things like that have been rearing their heads. It's a couple of weeks away, but uh, you must be, there must be a certain amount of publicity and uh, people beginning to beat the drum for that. Well, you hope so, and there's, there's certainly been uh, there has been movement around. Kind of squads were finally finalised while you're away. Uh, all six have, have named their groups. That was a long process, necessarily so, given that you know you're starting something new from scratch. But the whole thing feels like it's been a long time coming now. It's you know. Uh, it feels like an age since uh, you know Mark Johnson stood up at that SRUGM a couple of years ago and announced it was going to happen, and, and here we are a couple of weeks out from the first game, and the proof will be in the pudding. Well, the proof of the pudding will be in the eating, won't it? When we actually see if we if we do kind of see that that quantum leap or significant leap that, that you know we all want to from in terms of performance, there's a lot of debate about how that will come, if it will come, and, and whether this is the right route to go down, introducing a, a sort of, um, they're calling it part-time professional, most people call it semi-professional tier between the, the club and uh, the club and pro game. Nobody would argue, I think, that, that, that something had to be done to, to bridge that uh, gap, but uh, whether this is going to be the, the best approach will only become clear as it, as it actually happens. So, uh, yeah, there is anticipation to see what the new sides actually take the pitch and see what level of support turns out to watch them. Will they be able to attract people from a, a non-traditional club audience, will the, 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 the pro audience, and particularly in Edinburgh, that's you know, been a challenge to build up over these last 20-odd years for Edinburgh themselves. you now got three... You know, um, almost competing interest in the same city. Will they cannibalise that Edinburgh market, or, or will they find a way to sort of coexist? Um, hopefully, the latter. But um, a lot of a lot of questions will be answered uh, over the next few months. Because it is difficult. Uh, Edinburgh, as you say, the club that are struggling at pro level are also the one that are going to be imposing on themselves the biggest single competition from the Super 6 level. And you do wonder if there are that many people in Edinburgh who are going to be up to two or three games of rugby over the course of the weekend? Well, that's the question, isn't it? Because, you know, the the three Super 6 franchises will still have their club team as well. So will people who go and watch the club um, want to go and watch both sides, the club and uh, the, um, the Super 6 game? And an Edinburgh fixture on top of that. That's a big ask for even the most ardent supporters, isn't it? And never mind financially as well. Um, but, you know, I think the bottom line is that, you know, that, that where, where Glasgow have done well to almost create a new market in, in Glasgow was something that wasn't there before. And uh, Edinburgh looking to sort of tap into um, what we feel is a latent market that probably hasn't been properly um, engaged uh, since the club, um, you know, came back into being as, a, as an entity in the professional era. So uh, you'd hope that this can play a part in that as well and just kind of bringing people back out to, to watch rugby per se and then hopefully kind of buying into that bigger picture at the end of the team as well. 
Indeed. Mark, thank you very much indeed. I'm afraid this is another occasion when we have so much more to talk about, but not enough time to talk about it. Thanks a lot, Mark. That was Mark Palmer from the Sunday Times. And as I said, problem being that the clock has beaten us yet again. I'll be back next week, I hope, with the line-out again. But in the meantime, good night from me. Love music. Live sport. The Line Out with Lewis Stewart on Rock Sport Radio.